Great are you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that though we need to seek you, you also seek us out. You invite us into your family, a huge family that includes people all over the world from all time, every nation and every tongue. Help us to be that loving, non-judging family you desire. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Again, good morning. Welcome to Buffalo Valley, where together we are pursuing and demonstrating the transforming life and love of Christ, sometimes more passionately than others. <laughs> January was long, wasn't it? <laughs> but it's February. And is anybody else, I, I've been excited about this since I was doing announcements and I put the date up and I realized that today is 2020 it's a palindrome, usually in English, in, in, in words, but numbers. So you got to find the small things to celebrate. It was exciting. So happy palindrome day. Uh, <laughs> um, if you, we always love to hear from you as a part of our church family. So if you have any comments or questions, prayer, jo- prayer requests, or jokes that you think we should hear, memes that we should see, I don't know, you name it, please contact us um, through, well, Facebook, Email all those regular things, text, or our bulletin. Um, you can, it's the connection card, please uh, put that there. If you are visiting us for the first time and nobody did not capture you as you were on the way through and say hi. Well, no, we don't capture. Sorry, just friendly hello. But if nobody said that, um, we'd invite you to uh, come back to our welcome desk. Uh, we have a little gift for you. For, thank you for uh, joining us today. Um, we're now going to be moving into um, a part of worship where we continue to give, and one of those ways that we give is our finances. We, we share what God has shared with us, our offering. So I invite the ushers to start to gather and come forward, and we will be receiving our offering. Uh, kids, if you'd like to go back to junior worship, you are dismissed to head on back to the sunroom uh, for junior worship. As I said earlier today, we are we're looking at the words of Jesus near the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, or near the end of his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven, um, specifically at how we look at one another, and the words judging are used. Um, so we already spent some time this morning, and hopefully, like a, like asking ourselves, how am I seeing other people? Do I have something in my eye? Am I putting something between me and them that's not there? Do I not understand where they're at? Do I need to listen? During our offering, we're going to, David's going to play the music to Be Thou My Vision. And we're going to have the words of the one verse on the screen. I just invite you to continue to reflect on what does it mean for God to be our vision? I invite God to do so. Ushers, you may come forward.
you know, those words on the screen, if you are thinking about a motto for 2020 and you haven't figured one out yet or you don't have one yet, just look at those words, right? Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Wow, I'm not there, right? Nothing matters to me except you. Thou my best thought by day or by night. And Jesus, how many of the 365 days in a year is he our best thought? Waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Ah, wow. What a great, what a great song. Of course, be thou my vision. Great verse or great thought to have for 2020, of course. Before we begin in our message this morning, I want to pray for the folks who are going on our disaster relief trip. They leave next Sunday morning about 5 o'clock. So I think you're all in here. So if you're going, would you stand? In the bulletin, we have the folks listed. We have Jeff Bastian, Karen Byler, Dan Kramer, Cody Heinzelman, Kurt Ilgen, and Ashley Wetzel. And I think I saw all of you come in here this morning, though I only see two of you standing. There's Kurt. Dan's in the back. There's Karen was behind Ashley. And then Cody. I saw Cody. Where'd he go? Okay. All right. Boy, that's not, yeah, now, now, now everybody's going to be wondering where he is, all right? He's probably meditating in prayer somewhere, all right? We'll give him that. So um, we want to pray for you guys. You can sit, sit back down now if you want. They're headed off to Horry County, South Carolina to, uh, as the bulletin says, rebuild homes that were destroyed in Hurricane Florence through the ministry of Samaritan's Purse. So uh, you guys leave, what, four or five next Sunday? Five in the morning. If you, you want to come, you know, at five and pray with them before they leave. You're welcome. Um, hopefully you have a key. Uh, so uh, they'll be here to, uh, to head out. And you're taking the van, taking a van, right? Driving down. All right. Who's driving, by the way? Okay. All right. <laughs> don't, don't go to sleep when Kurt is driving. All right. Don't do that. Um, okay. All right. All right. Let's pray for these folks. Father, we're so thankful for uh, um, the opportunity to join with other brothers and sisters in Christ around the world um, to minister through Samaritan's Purse. And so I just pray for these folks as they go um, that you'll give them strength and um, health and all that stuff that we want to pray for all the time. It's good to pray for, but also I pray that you would um, give them opportunities to share the gospel, give them opportunities to minister spiritually to people as you minister to them. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be in the van on the drive. We invite you to be in the residence where they're staying in their workplace next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, well, as you have already been introduced this morning, we are going to talk about Matthew chapter 7 as we finish up um, the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapters 7 and 8 are the chapters that we were reading today. And, and thank you, some of you are continuing to join our, uh, our Facebook group, and we're having some good, good discussions on that. So if you'd like to join that, please just let me know, and we'll invite you in. Or you can even do that via Facebook to let us know that you want to be a part of that particular, particular group. But chapter 7 concludes the Sermon on the Mount. We have all kinds of wonderful things in there to, to think about. The judging section, which we're going to talk about today, then the wise man and the foolish man. Many of us remember that song from years ago, right? The wise man built his house upon the rock. There comes Cody. Cody just came in. So, uh, so here he comes. So we just prayed for you, Cody, for your trip to, uh, to your disaster relief trip, all right? So, uh, so um, you're all prayed up for that. So we're good to go. All right. Okay. 
Um, that's how the chapter ends in Matthew 7. Then we get into Matthew 8. Matthew 8 has all kinds of activity. Jesus is, is cleansing lepers. He's casting out demons and putting them into pigs, which is that really interesting thing about that part of the thing. He's calming the wind and the waves. There's so much in there, so many things that we could, that we could talk about. And I hope you're taking the time to read through them, think through them. Put yourself in that particular space. I was doing a, a devotional Bible study that, I've been, that I started at the beginning of the year, a little bit before the beginning of the year. And one of the things it talks about is this idea of, of reading the Bible devotionally. Actually, this happened twice. It happened in the Multiply book that we're doing in our discipleship class on Sunday morning, and then another study that I was reading. And you know, I think about the, the times that I m- get the most out of the Bible is when I really try to say, look, I'm just going to take 15 to 20 minutes on this chapter or on this paragraph and I just try to, I try to put myself in there. Like I, try to, I try to be in that space where, that I'm reading, think about what those people would be thinking about or think about what the expressions on their faces would be. And, and if you don't take time to do that, I just so highly encourage you to do that. The Bible comes alive. Holy Spirit is, illuminates the stuff right off the page as you put yourself into it. And so I think about what it would be like to be there that day when, when, when you see all these pigs just running down into the thing. And, and then in chapter 8, I was, I was so impressed by the fact that, you know, Jesus is always touching people, right? You don't touch lepers. Right? So you don't touch lepers. It's, it's no touch. You don't touch them. But he's always touching them. And the centurion comes in chapter 8. This is not the sermon, by the way. The centurion comes in chapter 8, and he says, hey, um, I, have a, I have a servant that needs to be healed. And just, what's the first thing that Jesus says? Okay, I'll go with you. I don't think Jesus wasn't busy. I mean, the guy's busy, busier than you or I can imagine. He wants to come with him. Mark, can you kill that buzz? I don't know what that is, but it's, you got, can you guys hear it? Yeah, it's, it's pretty loud up here. Um, not sure. No, I think I made it worse. It's the what? The air handler? Okay. Okay, well, if we can't get rid of it, then I'll just keep going, but um, we'll, we'll see if we can figure that out for the next time. But, um, so Jesus is constantly touching people, constantly wanting to be there. And just, just let that be your Jesus, right? Jesus wants to be involved in your life. He wants to be engaged with you. He wants to touch you. He can't touch you physically, but he can touch you in so many ways. Please try not to make Jesus this figure off in the distance somewhere. He wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. So today we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7 in the first several verses of, of Matthew 7. And a, a passage of Scripture that, that some people, though I don't really believe this to be the truth, but some people, if you, if you Google this passage, you'll find people writing about that this has become the most famous verse or the most well-known verse. You know, it used to be John 3.16, and now it's, it's, um, it's uh, Matthew 7.1, Judge not, lest ye be not judged. But I don't really think that's the case. But it is a verse that's become pretty popular in, in thinking about what does it mean when Jesus says that? And what does this whole passage mean about, about judging? And some people say, well, you can't, you can't judge other people. It's not right to judge other people. But I maintain that that doesn't make any sense. That's not actually what the passage is teaching us, which we'll read in a minute. But it also isn't practical. So if you're following along in the notes, the way that I like to put this is that all of us make judgments all of the time as it relates to the actions and attitudes of others. I don't maintain you can't go through a single day without making judgments. We make judgments all of the time. Those of you that are married, you made a judgment about marrying that spouse. You decided or asked to marry him or her because you judged that was the person that you wanted to spend the rest of your life 
with. When you, when you made a career choice, when you went to college, you made a judgment. You separated some colleges from the other colleges. And so it's not really possible for us to say, look, we're just not going to judge other people or we're just not going to make any judgments. We have to make judgments. But what we need to think about is how do we make those judgments? Because we all make judgments all of the time as it relates to actions and attitudes of others. So if you've been reading through Matthew 6 and 7 and 8, you'll remember that Jesus is doing this. He's illustrating the right and wrong way of doing important things. So he talks about fasting. And he says, look, when you fast, don't fast like the Pharisees fast. Don't, don't have a long face. Don't, you know, look like, oh, you know, you know, you, see, you walk into, into work tomorrow morning and you got the sad face. Why are you so sad? Well, I'm, I'm fasting today, you know. I don't get to have any food, you know, because I'm, I'm spiritual and I, I, want, I want God to love me or I want to be powerful. And so I'm fasting today. He says, don't, don't do that. Just go in like your regular day, right? Your regular attitude, your regular face. Don't wear different clothes when you're fasting. And then he says, when you give, don't make a big show of it. You know, don't stand up and, and publicly say, hey, I'm putting stuff in the, in the offering plate. I once went to a church. This was really strange, but I never saw this before, and I can't imagine doing this, but I went to a church, actually it was last year, about this time, and, and when they got to do the offering, they first invited all of those who were tithers to come forward and give their offering. I know, isn't that amazing? I, I think Linda's gasping back there, right? People who've been in pastoral ministry for years. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? And so they had these boxes up front. They were tithing boxes. And they said, okay, all of you who are tithers, which if you're not familiar with church, would be the concept of giving 10% of your income. All of you, you self-identify. You identify yourself and you come forward and we'll all sit there in the rest of the congregation and watch you come up and give your money in the boxes. And then you sit down and then the rest of us give. So then they pass the, the plates through the rest of the congregation. And I was sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe that would happen. And I'm thinking, how many people don't really tithe but are coming forward and putting it in the box, you know? Because, you know, they want to be identified as somebody who gives a significant amount of, amount of money. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Now, it looked like it was a great congregation, a thriving ministry, and it was in Durham, North Carolina. But, oh, well, that's weird. That's weird. But so the idea is, but the idea is then not to give, but the idea is to give, but to give in the right Right, right way. And then he says the same thing about praying, right? Don't pray like the, 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 the Pharisees do, you know, oh God, you know, I'm so, I'm so glad I'm not like this person. And, and oh, I want everybody to know I'm praying. And you know, I, no, don't, don't do that. Like probably Cody was out praying, but he didn't tell anything about it. He didn't tell us about it when he wasn't here in the beginning. So, so you know, he didn't come in and say, oh, I'm back from prayer now, guys. You know, he didn't do any of that sort of stuff. So, so um, Cody will never speak to me again. Um, but he, he didn't say don't pray, right? He doesn't say not to pray. He just wants us to pray in the right way. And, and I don't know that we get it right all the time, but this is what we see in this passage from Matthew chapter 7. He's illustrating the right and wrong way of doing important things. So let's read the passage from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So right away, if anybody says, well, the Bible says judge not lest you be judged, but the next sentence says that you are going to judge, right? So it's strange that people interpret it that way. Verse 3, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at plank now, they didn't have pool noodles back in that day. If they'd had pool noodles, they probably would have used them. 
And look, a plank is in your own eye. That was great the way Eric did that. Hypocrite. Ooh, strong words, right? First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So there's an element of the fact that, that we can be, and perhaps even should be, involved in that process. But we have to do it the right way, and that's what I want to talk about today. So just first thought about this word judge. The original meaning of the word judge is to separate. That's what the word means. Krino is the word in the Greek language, and it's often, it's used in a variety of different ways. And if you think about when you judge something or someone, you are separating in some ways. Again, back to marriage. You judged that he or she should be your spouse out of a large pool of people. Well, for some of you, maybe a smaller pool of people, but, but from some pool of people that you had to choose from, that you wanted to be married to, you made a judgment. You separated someone out from that. If you chose a career, you went to college, you separated something, you judged that this is what I would like to do for the rest of my life from a vocational standpoint. When you go to the restaurant, you, you separate out. You want this over, over that. You know, you make judgments. We make judgments all the time. And so that's what it means. It means to, to separate. And I think most of us, when we separate things, we separate with our eyes. Or we at least use the word see to think about separating or to how we, we judge. So often, we, you know, we pick out things. We, you go shopping, you judge with your eyes for the most part. You don't, I don't see too many people, you know, smelling the dress racks or anything. They don't do that. They judge with their eyes. They see, yes, I want this, I want, I want that. Now, obviously, we do judge with some other things. We taste things and judge that they're no good. But often, even the visual part of food is important to us. Like what we, what we look at, what we, what we see. And so Jesus addresses this part of seeing. And so I just want to take, you, there's so many ways we could talk about this, these words, but I want to think about it in terms of, of seeing. And we use the word seeing even when we're not talking about seeing with our eyes. Like, we'll say something like, I see how you feel. We don't, we don't see your emotions, but we still use that word. So it has this word, I think Jesus has all of these things in mind as he's talking about this. So let's go back. Most of our judging has to do with seeing. So let's look at this passage again. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, which is a very strong word. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We are always going to be involved in judging. We are always going to be involved in correcting, in helping, in encouraging. How do we do it? How do we get it right? Well, I think Jesus gives us some very, very important things here as we think about seeing in order to be able to judge correctly. So a few points. Number one, foreign objects impact our ability to see. We've all experienced that. If you, if you are like me, I tend not to wear you know, vision protection when I'm doing stuff like using a chainsaw and stuff. I know it's terrible. I should do it. But every once in a while, you know, you've done something like that. Or, or maybe you've got that summertime gnat in your eye. You know, you get that gnat in there. And it bothers you, right? You can't, you can't see right. It's just, it's, it's bothersome. You blink in. And, and so foreign objects, we understand that foreign objects impair our ability to see. They impact our ability to see. So the question for us is, what kind of objects impact our ability to see? What are the objects that impact our ability? Beyond just your physical vision. So I'm not really talking about a speck of dust or a gnat. But what are some things that can impact our ability to see? Well, I'm just going to list a few for you up here on the screen. 
your past. Right? Your past can impact your ability to see. The experiences that you grew up with, the way that you were treated, either positively or negatively, or in all of us, some combination of both, all of those things impact our ability to see. They just do. Um, race. Race impacts many people's ability to see. Right? They judge people differently because of the color of their skin, even though there really is no such thing as different races, but we identify that way, and so people have it impacts their ability to see. They see a person of a particular color, of a particular ethnicity, and they already begin to have planks in their eyes about what it is about that person, who he or she is. Economics, right? Those things are things that can impact our ability to see. We see someone on the street corner holding up a homeless sign. We begin to make judgments about him or her. And then we can get into a whole area of, of sinful things like jealousy and envy, right? They impact our ability to see. You know, if I'm, if I'm really envious of something that you have, it's really hard for me to see you rightly, to see you clearly. If, I'm, if I have a lot of pride and arrogance about something or as it relates to the relationship that I would have with you, it, it impacts my ability to judge you correctly. It impacts my ability to see you correctly, all right? So, so first of all, Jesus, I think, is pointing out this idea of the speck and the idea of the log or the, the plank is that foreign objects impact our ability to see. So what, what is impacting your ability to see? Sometimes we think, you know, oh, you know, my sin that I'm doing in my own life, it's just sort of my private sin. Nobody really knows about it. It doesn't really impact. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. It impacts your ability to see others clearly. And to make the necessary judgments and the necessary decisions that you need to make and that I need to make in my life. Now we know that Jesus is speaking sort of metaphorically here. He's not really talking about people walking around with planks sticking out of their eyes. But it's very interesting to me that he uses this great contrast. The speck in your brother's eye while there is a plank in your own eye. So that leads me to point number two. When we judge, our specks can look like planks. Because I often wondered, especially when I studied through this this last time, why did Jesus go there with this great difference? Right? I mean, he could have made the same point by saying, hey, in order to remove the speck in your brother's eye, you need to get the speck out of your own eye. I mean, that would make some sense to me. I don't think that. Or in order to get the plank out of your brother's eye, you need to get the plank out of your own eye. But, but Jesus puts the plank on our eye, eyes and puts the speck in the eyes of the other person. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Why does he, why does he do that? Some have, re- have written, and, uh, and Eric illustrated it, this idea that with the plank in your eye, you can't really get close enough to somebody else to help them, and I think that's a valid understanding. But I also wonder if this doesn't have something to do with it that what we see as insignificant can really be significant, right? So, so we think that our problems, our issues are specks, but they're really not specks. They're really planks. See, we see them as specks because, I mean, you know, hey, we all think we're pretty good for the most part, so, so I may have an issue with this, but it's a speck. It's not a big deal, I can see pretty clearly with this speck. I'll just, you know, sort of push it over to the corner of my eye or something like that. But really, in reality, what Jesus, I think, is teaching us is, no, it's not really a speck. It's a plank. 
and it greatly impacts your ability to see correctly. So you and I cannot be content to live our lives with the specks in our vision. We cannot be willing and content to allow objects that have existed in our lives the past to continue to exist because it greatly impacts our ability to judge rightly in the world in which we live. And next one says, it's important for us to have God to help us to remove the planks, even if we think they are only specks, right? Think about, think about the things in your life that, that you have matured in your vision over the years. And how, did that, and how did that happen? And I was thinking about this for me. In growing up as a teenager, and I guess I probably picked this up from conversations I heard or, or from TV or something like that, but I always sort of had this impression of people who were poor is that they were lazy and that they were poor. And it was their own fault. And again, I don't really know. Nobody ever sat me down. My dad never sat me down or mom and said, you know what, Eric, here's the deal. People who are poor are lazy, shiftless people, you know. They never said that. But, but growing up, I just sort of had that thing. So if I saw somebody in the corner of the homeless sign, I would tend to think, oh, they're, they're just lazy. They just need to get a job. That was sort of a way that I would judge people that I never even knew. And then, as a young adult, when I started going back to church, I lived in the Washington, D.C. area, and so there were, you know, homeless folks everywhere all around the place. And I got involved in preaching at, at the Gospel Mission in downtown Washington, D.C. And you know what? I actually had, for the first time in my life, conversations with people who were poor and homeless. I'd never had those conversations before. I didn't need those conversations to create a judgment about who they were. I didn't need those because I just had my specs, which were really planks. And I began to eat with people that I'd never really eaten with before and talk to them before and after the service. And I realized, you know what? Most of these people are not who I thought they were. Now, some are, of course, but most were not. I remember talking to a guy who said, you know, I, I, I had a job in, in, and I'm just kind of living paycheck to paycheck. I don't have any family and I lost my job. And so here I am at the, at the mission and I'm trying to, you know, get another job, but this place is just sort of able to, to keep me going for a few weeks and months until I can find some place. And of course, you meet people who struggle with addiction or who are survivors of abuse. And, 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 and I began to see, and I began, I remember, I remember distinctly being so incredibly sad that I had gone through this time, never really allowing God to, to remove that from me and just sort of going with my own stereotype. And so I think it's really important for us if we think about the idea of these specks, which to us look like specks, but to everyone else really are more like planks. Just let God remove them. You don't have to go around with these things in our eyes. We can change. God can do it. God can change. And maybe right now you're thinking about something that, that, is, a, that is in your field of vision that is keeping you from judging correctly. Remove it. Or better yet, ask God to remove it. Well, one of the ways in which I think this happens, and I'm not suggesting this is the only way, but one of the ways is this. You remove the wood by following the word. Remove the wood by following the word. To say don't judge isn't realistic. It's not possible for us not to do that. 
I don't even think it's right for us not to do that. There are certain things that we need to judge. Paul certainly writes about that in Corinthians. About, you know, we judge sin. We have to do that. We're, we're, we're supposed to do that. We're commanded to do that. And in John chapter 7, Jesus is accused by the Pharisees of operating out of the power of Satan. Right? He's, he's accused. It's not the only place in the New Testament, but one of these places where he's accused of casting out demons and doing other things by the power of, of Satan and, and doing it in the wrong way. And Jesus says this. He says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So in order to judge rightly, which I believe we're commanded to do, we must judge righteously. But what does that look like? like how, do we, how do we do that? How do we judge righteously? Well, I want us to think about our current judicial system. When you, are, when you are arrested, and hopefully this does not happen to you this week, but if you are arrested, you are charged with something that is what? That is written down, right? In the criminal justice world, right judgment is based on a written judicial code. Now you, don't, you don't get, you say, well, what am I being charged with? And somebody just says, well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just making it up. No, you, there's a violation of, you know, section 4.2, point .7, point dash, point whatever of the, of the code, Right? And so, so judgment is often based on this idea of a written idea. And, and I think that that's really important as we think about the Bible. God has given us a book. God has given us instruction to help us to understand what is right and what is wrong. Now, if we think about the human code, there's a couple of problems with that. Number one, the law is not always right. right? Sinful men can make sinful laws. So we can make laws that are not right and they're not good. But we don't have that problem with the Bible. The Bible doesn't say things that are not right. The Bible doesn't say things that are not true. We have a code book. We have something that can help us to understand whether a behavior is right or wrong, whether an activity is right or wrong, whether an attitude is right or wrong, and we should therefore use it very effectively in our understanding of how to judge rightly. Now, I get it, that there are some things that we struggle with understanding whether they're right or wrong. But I don't really think that that's true for most of the major issues in which we, we live. I think the Bible's pretty clear. Now, not everybody agrees with it, but I think it's pretty clear about how it is that we ought to live. But then the second part where we get into trouble sometimes is that those who apply the law can see things wrongly. So, so a person can take a good law and apply it in a wrong way. And, and we do struggle with that at times. We take the good part of the scripture and we don't know how to apply it or we try to apply it incorrectly often because that's the way we want to make it read. And it's tough. It's not easy. This isn't easy. Right? This, is, this, isn't, this isn't something that's just step one, two, three. But if you want to do the words of Christ and follow in this, this idea of removing the speck, how do you know what the specks are? How do you know what the planks are? Well, you know it from the word. Right? You know it from the Bible. You you. you gather together, and you, well, that's, that's my next point, but you, you work on this thing together, because this isn't really in the text, but I have just added this. Have someone else take a look with you. Have someone else take a look with you. You know, again, some of these things we struggle with. We struggle with, are they cultural? Are they in the context of, of just the, the, um, the, the idea of, of the setting at that particular point in time, or is it something that applies to today, and we struggle with that, and we struggle sometimes with how to understand, and I don't think that's ever going to go away. But often we're helped by having some other people take a look with us. 
Because if I'm just doing it myself, I'm prone to have difficulty sometimes even seeing what the Bible says because of the plank that's coming out of my eye. But if I gather around other people, we have a better chance of doing this together. How many of you diagnose your own vision problems? Do you, do you have that thing at home? That better pick one, pick two, now, later, whatever. I mean, that's a cool-looking thing, right? I don't know what that thing is called. Um, optomograph. No, it's not true. I just made that up. But I don't know what it's called. But it's the coolest piece of equipment, right? Just, you know, better, now, then, you know, you're like, it's the same, you know, it doesn't matter. But you don't do that. You can't do that yourself. You can't do that yourself. You have to have somebody do that for you, or at least with you. And so that's one of the reasons why we encourage you so much to engage in community, to be involved in Bible study with other people, to be involved in faith circles, because you're just not going to get it right on your own all the time. So be a part. Pull in. Reach out. Community helps you see specks, which often look like planks that you just simply don't see. So let's quickly review. Foreign objects impact our ability to see. So are you going to live with the plank sticking out of your eye? Or are you going to ask God to remove it? He wants to remove it. Doesn't mean that it won't come back. Doesn't mean that you won't get another one. But we've got to continue to work on it. Continue to ask Him, God, what are these objects that are in my life that impact my ability to see? What are the planks that I need to remove? Number two, when we just... That's not what number two was. When we judge, when we judge, our specs can look like planks. When we judge, our specs can look like planks. They can. They can. So be sensitive to that. Be sensitive to that. And then simply number three, remove the wood by following the word. There is no better way. I'm, I, I'm saying it doesn't solve all the problems right away, and we can still disagree at times. But there is no better way to remove the wood than by using the word. So will we do it? Will we do it? Let's pray. Father, it is, it is a privilege for us to be involved in carrying out your work upon this world. Father, those who might be here this morning that that are not really familiar with the work of Christ and, and what he's doing and what he can do, I, I pray that they would understand that it is really only through him that they can judge rightly. And I pray they would want to receive him. I pray they would want to invite him to become a part of their lives. And that we can help to explain or help to provide the understanding that they may have, the answers to questions that they may have. And Father, I pray that, that we think about this idea of judging, that we don't, we don't default to this idea that, well, I, I can't judge, because that's not what Jesus says, and that's not what the New Testament says. But rather, as imperfect as we may be, we are commanded to judge rightly and righteously. And so, Lord, may we recognize and do that with great humility. In our prayer from this morning, is one that I think we must pray often to help remove the specks.
let someone be preferred over me. Let someone be chosen over me. That attitude and in community with other people, informed by the word of God, I believe will give us the best opportunity to have vision that we need to have in order to be able to follow you and to faithfully be used in the relationships that you've put us in. So God, I pray as we leave here today, as we sing and as we cement some thoughts, God, that you would move. In Jesus' name, amen.